be here. I won't keep you long this evening, this afternoon, but I do want to mention a couple things. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 13 with me. There's two short parables that are here um, where Jesus is really, really trying to tell us something about His church. Uh, there's a couple things that I, I just want to point out quickly this afternoon about this, but they're, they're two uh, short parables that when you're reading through Matthew chapter 13, it's mixed in with several other of their parables. Um, he's talking, uh, we've kind of grouped them together here. Um, he's, he's going through and telling um, why he's using parables. And, and there's these two short ones that he puts in, and they're both trying to say about the same thing. And I call these the, the parables of priority. And, and as we go through these, I think you'll see that what he's trying to say is, is you've got something really important to think about here. We're just going to look at these two, verse 44 and then verses 45 and 46. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Some have said that this is uh, kind of dishonest. This is kind of dirty pool here. So you're going to go through some man's land. You're going to dig around and find his treasure. You're not going to tell him it's there. You're going to run off and... Sell everything you got, and you're going to go in and say, I just want to buy your land, give him a real low price for it, and then you've got the treasure. Some have said that, that Jesus is trying to, uh, that this is actually a negative on his part, and that a lot have used this to say that he wasn't sinless because of this. But that's really not the case, especially when you the context of what he's trying to, uh, what he's trying to, to, to communicate. There's nothing dishonest in here. He didn't go looking around for something, trying to steal anything. Uh, He's not even really trying to talk about business anyway. He's talking about the importance of what is found. And the truth is, we're talking about buried treasures here. You think of pirates and, you know, black flags with skull and bones on them when you think about about buried treasures. But this was a common thing in their time. The majority of the people who had anything, any possessions, any money, any monetary amounts, would divide them up into three different sections so they could keep them. There was a lot of change of leaderships. There were this nation rising against this nation, and, and this leader taking over, and that ruler taking over, and the laws were changing. The banking systems that they would have had were questionable because you just didn't know what the next ruler who might come in and take over in the next five years, how they would change it. So, what they would do is they would divide into three different ways. They would, they would buy a bunch of jewels. They would buy something they could keep, something small, something they could hide, something they could pass down to their children, but that was the way they, like we would do stocks and bonds, that kind of things. They would buy jewelry. They would buy uh, different kinds of jewelry. And they would keep those things real close, and, and, and they would hide them, protect them, And that was where if they ever needed any money, they could go and take that and sell it, and the value of that would stay the same. They would then take another third of their money, and they would keep that in their pocket for everyday commerce. Their money that they kept, that they had a third of it, they would keep just as as liquid assets, things they could buy and sell with. But another third of it, it was very customary for them to take and bury somewhere. They would put it in a box, and they would bury it out in the field. And, you know, sometimes they'd tell their family where it was, and sometimes they wouldn't. Because they didn't want, um, you know, uh, the prodigal son to go out there and, and dig up this, uh, this money and take off with it. So a lot of times if people died of a young age, their 
treasure, their, their, their wealth would be left under an old oak tree, you know, ten paces north from the fence or whatever. And so this wasn't an uncommon thing. It was very common, actually, for them to do that. Well, what's interesting about that is he then goes into a discussion of the pearl of great price. Uh, there again, they would have understood this hidden treasure. They would have understood this, this pearl because that would have been two-thirds of their wealth would have been wrapped up in that. Usually they would have had it hidden and had it in, in some sort of, uh, of precious jewel. And so now he's going to come back in verse 45 again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who knows what he's talking about, who, who buys and sells these things all the time, who travels all over the world looking for pearls. He knows what a good pearl looks like. He knows what a bad pearl looks like. He knows what a big one and a small one. He knows all about pearls. And this merchant who spent his life studying pearlology, he, he, he's seeking after beautiful pearls. And when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, all his other pearls, all his other things that he's picked up in his travels all around the world, he sold all of that, went to zero, went to nothing, just so he could buy this one pearl because he knew of its great value. Pearls were hard to come by in that time. Pearls come from oysters, you know that. Pearl is made from enzyme called nacre. When an imperfection, a grain of sand or dust or maybe a small rock gets inside the shell of an oyster, the nacre is what closes down and keeps it watertight, but it also is what will attack whatever that is that gets inside of that. And that nacre will get on top of it and it will get bigger and bigger and it becomes perfectly round trying to protect the muscle from this outside influence. Did you know one in about every thousand oysters has a pearl in it? They didn't harvest them then like we can now. They didn't have shallow pools or farms. They didn't have excavating equipment where they could go down on the bottom of the ocean floor on the average, the oysters live on the shelves about 40 to 60 feet deep, maybe some 100, in order to get an oyster. These folks would go out in a boat, and they'd have a bag of rocks with a long rope, and they'd throw it over the side. They'd hit the bottom. They'd put a couple empty bags on, si on their sides. They'd take a deep breath, they'd jump in the water, and they'd walk themselves down that line to about 40, 50 feet deep and blindly just start reaching around and picking up anything that felt hard and put into their pockets. And they'd hold their breath as long as they could. There's some commentators said they were able to hold it for two, three, maybe even four minutes, those who really tried doing that. And they would come up and they would empty those bags out and they would do that over and over and over again. And one in a thousand, as I mentioned, had an oyster in it. So oysters, excuse me, had a pearl in it. Pearls were very valuable because of that. As a matter of fact, it took such a toll on a human body that an oyster farmer was old at age 30. Some rarely lived to see 40 because it was so tough on them to go do that. So a pearl was something that they would have really perked up to, really thought about. The most expensive pearl that we have right now is actually a pear-shaped one. It's once owned by Elizabeth Taylor and it's worth $11.8 million. 
So a pearl of great price was a very appropriate example for them at that time. But what Jesus is trying to say, what Jesus is trying to say about the church is something you already know. It's just something I want to remind you, and I want to give you three quick things and I'll be done. The church that Jesus died for is without a doubt the most valuable thing that you will ever come in contact with. The church that Jesus died for is the most valuable thing. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is the most important knowledge a person will ever come across. And the church, through Jesus' eyes, are filled with people who not only understand but embrace and appreciate the value of the church. The value of salvation. The value of fellowship. The value of relationship. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some. Don't miss church, right? I'm telling you this on a Sunday afternoon. You're trying to stay awake. You're here because you know how valuable the church is. I'm just reminding you. But the interesting part about that passage in Hebrews 10 is what he says about what the product of it is of us coming together. It's to stir up love and good works. The word stir there is actually a cooking term. Uh, I barbecue a lot. As a matter of fact, I was telling them, i got to get home. i got to smoke 180 pounds of barbecue this week. we got a lot of barbecuing to do. I'm, I'm always behind a smoker, and I absolutely love it. I'm pretty sure I can take the sole of a shoe and put enough sauce on it and make it taste pretty good. But you ask me to bake a cake, and I don't have a clue what's going on. And this word stir is more of a cooking term than it is a barbecue term. If it was a barbecue term, I could tell you all about it, but this stir word isn't. But the idea behind it is, is you take a big bowl and you bring all the ingredients in. I don't really know what all you put in a cake, so I'm guessing here. It's going to have some eggs. We're going to crack some eggs and put in there. It's going to have some sugar, ladies, some flour, some oil of some... I don't know, what else? What else? What else? All that stuff that makes a cake taste good. You put all that stuff together. Now that stuff by itself isn't really all that great. I mean, I can eat some eggs, but I'm not going to be drinking oil. You put all that stuff together and the end product is excellent. And the idea behind the church, the idea behind understanding its value is not only Jesus the head, but also those of us who are the members you bring your phenomenal week and the victories and the successes you had this week and you put it in the bowl. You bring your failures, your hardships, your disappointments and you put it in our bowl. You bring your strengths, the things you're great at, the things you really enjoy doing. You bring your weaknesses, the things you're terrible at and you know you need to work on. And we put that in a big bowl and we stir it up and the end result is love and good works. There's value in the church. There's an extreme value in the Lord's church. 
So it's important for us to grab that thought and go on. So my three thoughts I want you to think about when we're looking at these, these two parables, that hidden treasure, that pearl of great price, is this. First of all, the knowledge of the kingdom of God should help you know what you're looking for in your life. Identity is something that a lot of our young people struggle with. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? There are times in our lives where we think we have everything under control and man, things turn in a hurry. We were going right, but now we're going left and we're going left really fast. It wasn't the plan. It wasn't the direction I had going. We question who we are. We question where we've come from. We question where we're going. But the truth of the matter is, is the knowledge of the kingdom of God the knowledge of the church, the knowledge of salvation, the knowledge of the connection and the fellowship, the knowledge of, salv- uh, of what salvation brings and the hope that's found there. It should help me know what I'm looking for in my life. What direction I'm heading in. What I'm trying to accomplish. There's three words that get stuck together a lot. Worship, praise, and glorify. We talk about praise and worship. That's a key thing they put together now with religion. I'm not sure that people understand that those are two different things. They don't go hand in hand. Worship, proskuneo, it it means to kiss towards. It's been translated to fall down in front of. It's been translated the word worship. But the idea behind it is, is it, Worship is us desperately seeking God's attention to communicate something with Him. Desperately seeking. I'm going to bow before you. I'm going to lay down in front of you. Why else would I do that other than to humbly approach hoping that you will see me? And we do that intentionally. And we do that respectfully. And we do that purposefully. Now praise is a different word. Salesman praise. Praise their products. They're going to tell you how great it is. The word praise is connected to a word that means to tell the story of. And so when we praise, we can praise our children. We better not worship them. It's a different word, different thing. But we can praise God. We can tell His story. Tell His story in hopes that somebody else will think highly of it. That's the idea. And so we can praise God with a lot of things we do in our life. And that's separate than worship. But the word glorify means to raise the opinion of. Let me tell you something. If you understand the value of the church, you'll do everything you can to raise the opinion of the God of the church in everything that you do. It helps us make decisions. It helps us know what to say. It helps us know where to go. We appreciate the value of the church. Therefore, we glorify the God of the church. The second thing is the joy of your knowledge of the church should be greater than anything else in your life. I can get excited in a hurry about some things, okay? I mean, you want to talk to me about bow fishing? I can get excited in a hurry. I got a 60-inch gar that I shot a couple weeks ago that's being mounted right now. I cannot wait to get that thing back. If you want to talk about it on the way out, I'd be more than happy to tell you about it. Because on that same night, I also shot two guards with one shot. I shot a, a 
center punched a snake, and I threw an arrow at a car and hit it. That was a pretty good night. I can get it fired up about some bow fishing and tell you all about it. I like to do barbecuing. I, 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 can, I can walk you through smoking a Boston butt. There was some really good barbecue in there. Whoever did it can also walk you through it. I can talk about ribs, and I can talk about what I do with my brisket. I can talk about what I do with different things when I cook. I can get excited about that in a hurry. But the truth of the matter is, what ought to excite us the most is the knowledge of Jesus Christ and His church. Because of what it does and because of what it brings, we understand the value. We understand the value of the church. We ought to get more excited about that. And I understand you think about emotion and bringing excitement into the church, and sometimes that's a difficult thing. But the truth of the matter is, is we can balance emotion and knowledge and do it right. We can balance excitement and enthusiasm. That's pretty obvious from the way this congregation sings that you got a pretty good grasp on that. You know how to take emotion and steal that into worship without becoming charismatic. And I respect that. I appreciate that. But that joy ought to motivate us above everything else. And the last thing I want to make mention of is this. Nothing should, be, should get in the way of giving all that we have. To the kingdom of God. Nothing at all should get in the way of us giving everything that we have. Listen, there's a merchant who knows pearls inside and out. He's got tons of them, buys them, sells them all the time. He's seen some crazy, exotic things. He's heard about these great pearls and he's heard about all these different jewels, but he found one. And he knew He knew how important it was. and He knew how valuable it was. Through Jesus' eyes, the church is full of people who won't allow anything to get in the way of them giving all of themselves to the church. I love the church. I've always loved the church. I can't imagine a time in my life where I won't love the church. I love it. I love the church. I always have. I love Jesus like you do. I love God just like you do. And I want to go to heaven one day more than anything that I know, just like you do. But we need to be reminded sometimes that the top, the best, the greatest is the knowledge of salvation. The God of the Bible Jesus of the New Testament and the church that He came to establish. We've got to be willing to give everything that we have for that. Because you can always apply this, but in this way I will. There's be two kinds of people in this world. People who found out and appreciated the value of the church. Those who never found it or didn't show the correct appreciation. I don't want to stand before God one day because I didn't respect His Son enough. I didn't respect His children enough. I didn't respect what it was He was trying to offer me enough. I'm not exactly sure that this is a lesson where somebody will come down forward. I'm not exactly sure this is the kind of lesson where you're going to come down here and say, you're right, I need to be restored. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe that's exactly what it was for you. 
What my hope and my prayer is that it's the kind of lesson that'll make you walk out of those doors and make a difference. That's where it matters. Not just what we do in here, but what we take out. And I can tell this congregation loves the Lord, and I'm very thankful for that. It's been an honor for me to be here with you today. I'm going to extend the Lord's invitation at this time. If someone here has fallen away, well, let's take an opportunity to pray with you. If you need to meet with the elders back there, I think that's how you do it. I love that idea. I would suggest that you do that. They love you and they appreciate the Lord. If we can do anything for you, please let us know as we stand and sing.